Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. Today's message is a continuation of our uh, study of the, of the epistle to the Ephesians. And we want to start with what we said here, all true Christians are the body of Christ. And so we want to kind of uh, unpack that just a little bit as we get into the today, today's message. I said last week that it's very important for us to feel secure in Christ and know we are secure in Christ. That's very important. Uh, it's also important to make sure that those who are with us are with us and those who are supposedly be steady in Christ are in Christ. And, and, and I want to know that if I'm not in Christ, I want to know that I'm not in Christ. And I wanted to know that uh, when I first came to this church because that's what I thought I was in Christ. If I, if I died, I was going to heaven uh, because I did get baptized. I did go up to, uh, when they asked for people to come up and join the church, I did go up uh, when I was smaller. So I know that I thought I was okay. And I'm so glad that, that I came to a church that, that told me what the Word said because I found out that, ooh, I don't want to be unsure of this thing. I want to make sure because uh, Hades is not a pleasant place to be. Like one of the, the people told me when I was teaching and coaching, said, hey, uh, man, it's going to be partying where we're going. And, uh, I don't have to be, be saved because we're going to party in hell. Okay, you think you're going to party in hell, but it's, that's not where, where my Bible reads. There's not going to be any party. There's going to be anguish. There's going to be uh, screaming. There's going to be uh, in, in the, in the, in, with brimstone and, and ashes. There's going, to be, there's going to be some hot stuff going on, and Satan is not going to be happy. The beast is not going to be happy. Nobody's going to be happy in hell. So we want to make sure that you're there. Now, I said last week, if you look at Matthew 7, I said last week that uh, these scriptures are put here, uh, and sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, but I, I, I believe that it helps us to know that, hey, just because I said some words, just because I got wet, does not necessarily mean that I'm saved. So I want to know if I'm saved. Somebody help me to know if I'm coming to church every day and don't know I'm saved, everybody gives me, um, you know, that kind of assurity that, that I'm saved because I'm in church. That is not good. So in verse 13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there's eternal life. And there are few who find it. Now, now, the scripture's there, and we started last week in verse, uh, I think, 19. Uh, no, in, in verse 21 we started, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, we should not get that backwards. We should not say that... The way to life is broad. There are many who go that way. And the way to 
perdition of the, to hell is, is really small and narrow, and there are few that, that find it. That should not be. That should not be uh, because that's not what the word says. Somehow, some people think that just because you said some words, just because you got wet, you are saved. And that is not true. It's not true. It says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And I have, I have talked to many, many people uh, who are in sin who think they are saved. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's just what they, they believe. And, and like it says in, in Corinthians, it says, uh, let everyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And let's go to 1 John. Let's go there, chapter 3, because that's, a, that's, that's something that's very interesting that we need to look at. And it tells us specifically what we need to know. It says that everyone who practices, there's practices now. There's practice, practice, practice. You know what practice is? If you're going out for an athletic team, you have to practice. You, you're going to practice every day during the season, every single day. Just about you're going to practice. If it's not game time, you're going to practice. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. No one who uh, uh, continually abides, that's the present tense, no one who continually abides, abides in him sins. No one who practices sin, continues to sin, in other words, because the sin is in the present tense, has seen him or knows him. So it tells me specifically that if I practice sin, that I don't know him. As a little children, make sure no one deceives you. So you don't want to be deceived, and you don't want your relatives to be deceived if someone is trying to tell them that they are saved and assure them they are saved if they are not saved. Because the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil. And that, 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 that is plain in my Bible. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for that purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. So these are just verses that when, when I heard these verses when I was, came to this church, I said, I am going to make sure that I'm saved. I'm going to I'm going to do this thing again because I don't know exactly what I was doing when I did it when I was younger. So I knelt down in my bedroom on St. John's Drive. I asked God to come into my heart to save me, make sure I'm saved, God. I don't want to go to hell. Please save me. And from that point on, and then I got baptized again. This time I got baptized. Last time I got wet. So I said, you know, uh, I, said, 
I got baptized, uh, and and then something started changing. I started having a desire to change. Now I was the same. I was the same, but I started having a desire to change, and I started being convicted of things when I did something wrong. And before, I had no conviction. I just thought I was right. I just made excuses. And I said, whoa, something's changed. Something's changing. I started having the desire to read the scripture to want to know what God said. I started having a desire. Before, I had no desire. Really, I had no desire. They gave us Bibles when I graduated from high school. And they did that back in 65 when I graduated. But I never did read it. Don't know what happened to the Bible. But I know one thing. I started reading when I gave my life to Christ. And I truly gave my life to Christ. I started reading. I wanted to know something. And I'm still desiring to change. I'm still being convicted when I do something wrong. I just can't let the sun go down. On and I don't try to. I never try to get angry. And I'm told occasionally that, hey, you raise your voice. I didn't raise my voice. You raise your voice. Well, please forgive me. That was not my intention. I want to keep a short account of anything that I'm doing. Anything I'm doing, let me know uh, so I can go to God, ask him to forgive me. I can ask you to forgive me. I want to do what's right. And if somebody said, well, you can't change. You're the same all the time. You're always going to be the same. You've been doing this for 40 years. You're the same. You're never going to change. Don't believe that lie. Because you can change. Because we have the Spirit of God to change us. And I'm so glad that I'm not what I used to be. But I know that I keep asking God to make me more what I should be. I know that also. So this is very important to me. That's why I said in Second Peter, if you turn to Second Peter, you remember we went through the, that epistle uh, of the Second Peter, and in verse, in chapter 1, it starts telling us some things. And it says that, uh, verse 3, sin, that he, that his divine power has granted us everything that pertains to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has granted us precious and magnificent promises so that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. That means that we can be partaker of the divine nature. And that's important for us to know that we can be like Jesus. Jesus said, I'm like the Father. When you see me, you've seen the Father. We need to be saying, when you see us, you see Jesus, because we have, we are partakers of the divine nature because the Spirit of God, God is inside of us. And so he has an influence on us to be like he is. And it says, having escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, also applying all diligence. 
Then it says all diligence. That means we got to really be working at this to, to add, in your faith, add more excellence. And in your more excellence, knowledge. And knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness, and godliness, brother, kindness, brother, kindness, love. It says, if these qualities in verse 8 are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities are blind and short-sighted and have forgotten his purification from his uh, former sins. If he has been saved. If he hasn't been saved, he has, he's not false. He's just blind. Just blind. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, it tells us. Every Christian, be, be diligent to make certain about your calling and your choosing. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble. And for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That tells me that I need to be about doing something. I need to be about doing something uh, because I want to make sure of my calling. I want to make sure of my choosing. I don't want to just say, that oh, oh, I was chosen. Oh, I'm secure in Christ. I want to make sure because it's too late once you die. No one knows when you're going to die. The doctor can tell you when you die. When when he thinks you might die. Hospice might tell you when they think you might die. But nobody can tell you when you're going to die. Nobody but God. And so we don't know. There are plenty of people. I was telling a person, I saw one of my coaches that we used to coach uh, against each other. Uh, the other day, I saw him, and we said, we said, you know what? There are a lot of people who we used to coach that are not here any longer. They, they died young. They didn't know they were going to die. Nice people. They weren't bad people. They're nice people. They just died. They, just, they had a plane crash, automobile accident, whatever the situation is. And he was telling me his son you know, uh, was bad off at one time, but his son is doing so well now, and his son's best friend is dead. And he had just as much intelligence as his son had a future, but drugs and stuff um, took, him out, took him away from him. And his son was on drugs too, but, but his son got off. Now, nothing is promised us. So we have to practice and make these things sure. And that's what God says. So is there any room for apathy? Is there any room for laziness, spiritual laziness? Is there any room for doing nothing just because you think you're saved? Is there room, any room for that? I don't see it. I see that we need to be about doing something. You know, we don't do anything to earn salvation, but after we gain salvation, we do things to change, to be more like Christ. That's what we're doing. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Because what it, go, what it tells us in Ephesians today is very important. Let's look at um, Acts chapter 9. 
before we go into Ephesians. Uh, this is when Saul was breathing threats, verse 1, and murders against the disciples of the Lord. Uh, and he went to the high priest and asked for letters in, in, in front of the synagogue. And they go, they go to Damascus, and, and if he find any pe- people belonging to the way, uh, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he was traveling. Uh, as he was traveling, he happened that he was approach, approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed about him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Let me tell you, we are the body of Christ. If somebody besides you punch you on the arm, you say, why are you hit me? Why you hit me? What you want? And he said, I didn't hit you. I hit your body. Now, that's stupid, isn't it? That'll be crazy. What you mean you didn't hit me? I am. What you mean my body and me? Who you think I am? You know, my body's not de- detached from who I am. Somehow we think we're dis- detached from Jesus. And it already tells us that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's what the word tells us. Either we are seated with him or we're not. Positional we are. Even though we are here, we are there. Because we're his body. Every single true Christian, every single true Christian is a part of the body of Christ. We are. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, that's where we, we are. Let's go there. In Ephesians chapter 1, it tells us uh, that, and we, 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 we went through, I think we stopped at verse 14 last time. Uh, let's pick it up. We're gonna, we might get to 15 today, verse 15. But I want to start in verse 20. Then I go back to 15 if time permits. Verse 20, chapter 1, Ephesians. Which he bought, speaking of God, the Father which he bought about in Jesus. He bought about in Jesus. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, all authority and power and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, there are, there are at least nine things we can see in these three verses, or these four verses. First of all, it says, the Father raised Jesus from the dead. Is that important? That's important. That's important. He raised him from the dead. If he raised, we're going to raise. So he said he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. So we talk about authority. We talk about 
Jesus is the authority of God. He's seated at the right, right hand of the Father on the throne. For above all rule, not only is he raised from the dead, which is one, but he's seated with him in the heavenly places, which is two. Number three is far above all rule, all rule, all rule and authority. And usually it tells you that, and we'll see that in, in probably chapter, uh, the later chapters, last chapter, is that when it talks about rule and authority and powers and dominion, it's talking about the evil powers and things. But Jesus is far above all rule, all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. That's four. Every name that's named, Jesus is above it. So you can name a name, Jesus is above it. I don't care what that name is. I don't care what that name is. It can be arthritis, it can be Alzheimer's, it can be cancer, it can be heart attack, it can be whatever. Jesus' name is above every name. Then it says, the fifth thing, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So he has the preeminence. Six, and he put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave seven him as head over all things to the church. And he gave him all things to the church. Number eight, which is his body. Tell us his body. And number nine, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, there's so much here, and I won't get into everything because I don't know everything that's in here. But I know one thing. It tells me that in verse 23 that we're his body, the church. The church in the New Testament, the church is not this building. We are the church. The called out assembly. We are. And it says that he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So if you mess with the body, you're messing with Jesus. Because you can't separate Jesus from his body. No, long, no more than you can separate you from your body. So it tells me this is, this is very important. Then it says the fullness of him who fills all in all. I said, wait a minute. Jesus fills all in all. Now, if you said that Jesus fills all in all, you say, yeah, I mean, Jesus fills everything. If a king has authority... He's going to have to have some rule. He's going to have to have some territory that he's ruling over. If you have an earthly king, he's going to rule over territory. Now, he might not be, uh, he might have some, some rebellious subjects in part of his kingdom. But it's still his kingdom. And he can go in, in at any time in the earthly king, send in troops and wipe out all the disobedience of all the people who are against his authority. He can do that. An earthly king. Jesus 
can do that at any time. At any time. He can do that. Now, it says that he feels all. What does that mean? He feels all. Over the total universe, everything, everything Jesus feels. All in all. Now, do you think Jesus is going to feel all in all without his body? Without us? Without every Christian in the world? No. We're his body. If he feels all in all, we're going to be part of that feeling. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're going to be part of that feeling. Do you believe Jesus, when he walked the earth, he represented the Father? Do you believe that he had no authority? He had no rules. He had nothing that he could do against the principalities, the powers, the rulers in charge, whether they are human or whether they are spiritual. No one would say he had no authority. He was just like a man. He was just like us. Yeah, he was a man, all man, all God, yes. But it tells me that he had authority. My Bible, it tells me that Satan, the demons, Nobody had any authority other than Jesus. Matter of fact, it said in Matthew uh, chapter 28, it said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Then he says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, it's telling me that when Jesus sent out the, the disciples in twos, he didn't send them out and say, Look, look, you go every place and try to, try to, Tell them about me, but now be aware of Satan. Beware of those demons, because you can't do nothing with them. Did he say that? No, he gave them authority to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He did. And as a matter of fact, he says that, now, I'm going to the Father. Now, you should be glad I'm going, because the Holy Spirit is going to come. And he says that, as a matter of fact, the works that I do, greater works will you do. That's what he said. Now, do you believe that all over the world we have true Christians that are part of the body of Christ that are supposed to be doing greater works than Jesus? Because he has given us authority. He said, all authority has been given to me. Go therefore. Go therefore. That's what he said. In other words, I want you to fill up everywhere with me. Because at, at, when I was coaching at Glass, we had a trophy case. What does a trophy do? A trophy case do? It houses trophies, right? And it showcases the, those things that, you know, uh, the, the teams have done that was excellent. They have a trophy to show it. Well, we're supposed to be showing forth Jesus. Everywhere we go, that's what we're supposed to be showing forth. Jesus. Jesus. Because we're supposed to be his hands. We're supposed to be his feet. We're supposed to be just like him. Our character is supposed to be just like him. We're supposed to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's in us. We're supposed to have love, joy, long-suffering, Peace, patience, goodness, kindness. We're supposed to have all those things 
When people see us in the workplace, they're supposed to be somebody, man, my goodness gracious, how in the world do you do what you do? Uh, you know, you're like a saint. Well, we are saints. Saints are, are, are just called out assembly, and saints are just separated ones. That's all saints are. We're not, we're not in this castle saying the saints are, these little, you know, saint you, saint this, saint that. No, we, we're all saints. Now, that's what we're supposed to be. And I said, wow, this is cool. This is great. And we fall far short. You know? Fall far, far short. You know, you think about when people do things to you. You say, well, man, that's not good. We'll do something about it. Well, I can't do nothing about it. Yes, you can. Well, yes, you can. We are the body of Christ. Do you know that? Nobody's supposed to be breaking into the body of Christ's house. Do you know that? We got all these saints supposed to be praying, right? I mean, what were they for? Breaking our house? I wish, I wish, uh, try to break into heaven. I wish Satan would try to break into heaven and the demons, try to break in and then and, and, and take over. My goodness gracious. Come on. We have to be who we are, though, don't we? And not just that, you know, your own personal house. Your own personal body. We're supposed to be, we're supposed to have protection everywhere we go. Right? Psalm 91, we're supposed to have protection everywhere we go. We've got the Holy Spirit with us. Now, let me, let me, let me say, I believe that we, in the body of Christ all over the world, supposed to be filling up this world with lights. Lights. Because we live in a dark world. And if every one of us throughout the whole world is a light, whether it's in your workplace or where it is, it's a light. People are supposed to see that light and want to come to that light. That's what it's supposed to do. We're supposed to fill up the world with the knowledge and the wisdom and the glory of God. Because we're supposed to be giving God the glory because he is working through us in these earthen vessels and everybody knows that we are just like they are. We're just human. But the only difference is we are the body of Christ. And therefore, it makes all the difference. We are powerful. That's what it tells me here. For that reason, when we look at verse 15, he says that for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Whenever you see a prayer in the Bible, it's something that we should be praying because there is revelation in those prayers because it's God's word. It's God breathed. And it says that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, this is, what, this is what Paul is praying now, may give to you a spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what he's praying for these, these saints at Ephesus. I'm praying that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so you, he reveal his knowledge. And it says that the knowledge is in him. And it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may you will know what is the hope or that's the expectation of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. The inheritance in the saints. We have his inheritance. And he says that I want you to be enlightened. I want you to know the expectation of your calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in you, saints all over the world. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, do we believe that or do we not? Do we believe that uh, he wants us to know, be enlightened about the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of his strength and his might. It's not because of us. It's because of his strength, his might. He, want to know, he wants us to know the surpassing, surpassing greatness of his power of us who believe. I said, well, no wonder you want us to know all that. Because if we don't know the surpassing greatness of your power, then how are we going to fill up things and how we're going to be who we are, we don't even know who we are. We, we, we think we are some itty bit of something that can't do nothing with nobody, that say, can't do anything with Satan, can't do anything with demons, can't do anything with, 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 with uh, people who need demons cast out. We can't do anything with people who have sickness. We can't do anything with people who are unsaved. We can't do anything with nobody. We're just here. We said we'll save, yes, but that's, that's just fire insurance. That's just so we won't go to hell. We'll save and we're just waiting out a period of time until we die and to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. And the Lord said, no, it's nothing like that. It's nothing like that. I leave you here because you are my hands and you are my feet. You have power and you have to go forth and you're supposed to take territory. That's what he's telling us to do. Take territory. In your job, in your family. You know, don't let your children just do what they want to do. Cast out in the devil. Cast out in it, uh, 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 just dishonoring of, of a parent. Do what is necessary because you have power. That's what he's saying. That's a great. That's good. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We don't have to succumb to sin and, and, and Satan and just evil. Because we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. They, 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 they do that in, in sports. You know, they do that. Um, they, they, they'll say, we win games a lot of times because of the name on our shirt. We are the Titans. The mighty, mighty Titans. We are Marshall. We are whoever. Right? 
They know that. And they, they walk around like they're going to win. And if you're not careful, if you're going to play them, you don't want to succumb to who you think they are. You want to know who you are. But see, they think that they can beat you just because of who they are. And some of, some of you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's not a lot of teams that have that kind of persona, you know, uh, probably. They just, a lot of times they just show up and they win. They just win. But I know that it is that way with a lot of teams. I don't know whether that's, that's that way with any teams you know uh, because a lot of them don't win all, all the games. Uh, Surely Dallas Cowboys can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, there are teams who win so many games. I mean, they they do. They do. And and I told you last year I was watching the University of Connecticut women's uh, basketball team because they win so much. Why in the world do they win so much? Why do you win so much? And so I've been learning. But a lot of people, a lot of them lose before they ever get on the floor because they play in the University of Connecticut. Yeah. And, and, and the coach tells me, hey, look, we play Connecticut basketball. This is who we are. When people come to our place, we come out, we come out like we own the place. When we go to their place, we act like we own their place too. You know? And that's what we're supposed to be. We're the body of Christ. What is it that you don't own? Tell me. What is it that you do not own when he says that you are heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ Jesus? What is it that we don't own? So when we step in the workplace, when we step into a restaurant, when we step in, we own it. We own it. They don't know it, but we, we own it. Yeah, because our father owns it. He the, the world and all that is in it. He owns it. Right? So we have to have that mentality. If we don't, we're going we're gonna to do something. What I do is just put up with stuff, and God's not calling us to put up with stuff. That's why when you pray, there's warfare prayer. That you, you go to warfare. You, you get tired, or you're just tired, and you're just tired, and sick and tired of, the, of this happening. So you just go to warfare for your children. You go to warfare for whoever, and you say, I'm going I'm to stop this thing now. And we can do it, whatever it is. And I want to have that mentality. I don't have it like I should, but I want to get it. Because, you know, when you start reading things, you say, well, man, this is, this is, this is good. We're not no mamby pamby. We 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 we're we're tough. We're tough. Now stand. Now I want you to go out today and act like you own the place. And now don't act like you own your mate. Now, <laughs> you know, don't do that. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.